tighten your seat belts, onion heads, because we're heading into our second podcast, focusing on, did Jesus really say that? Once we delineate the separation between Jesus and the church, a certain clarity emerges. For example, time and time again, Jesus says, follow me. Nowhere does Jesus say, worship me. Yet the figure of Jesus quickly became an object of veneration within an institutional structure. Once house churches faded and the figure of the crucified Jesus became a distant object on the church wall to be worshipped, then following him became an afterthought. The death now for a priority on following Jesus strikes when, before battle, the Emperor Constantine envisions the cross on a banner in the sky and later attributes his victory to Jesus Christ. Constantine then decrees that Christianity is the state religion. Before Christianity became the state religion, the church required an in-depth instruction before initiates are baptized during the Easter vigil. Afterwards, the floodgates open and people stream into the church with little or no instruction. It was hip to be Christian. The church then becomes a competitor with the state for power and control. Jesus' message of love gets lost in the struggle for power on the part of the Pope and his councils. As Jung comments, where there is love, there is not power, and where there is power, there is not love. Nowhere is this more obvious than Jesus' teaching on non-judgment. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye? you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Let's remind ourselves of one principle set down in the first podcast. For Christians, Christ is the heart and soul of the New Testament and all of Scripture. His work on the cross and his teachings reveal the core of the faith. Without this thoughtful framework, all scripture is equally valued. This approach is part of the reason for the disaster of contemporary Christianity, where individual verses are snatched out of context to support preconceived opinions. Here, psychology is a great help in understanding this teaching on non-judgment. Jesus functions as an ancient psychotherapist, pointing out the dynamic of projection. 
Projection is a process where I unconsciously, unintentionally transfer personal contents, most often negative, onto another person. The log represents my storehouse of psychic characteristics. Now, I would not project these contents onto another person unless there was a speck, that is, a small hook onto which to hang my log. As they say in AA, if you spot it, you got it. In projection, I am dumping my unconscious and personally unsavory characteristics onto someone else. My hidden love of money gets projected onto those money-hungry Jews. My repressed sexuality gets projected onto those oversexed black men. My suppressed homosexuality issue in hatred of the gays. And then, of course, we witness again and again that rabid, hate-filled evangelical preacher caught in a compromising position in the gay bathhouse or with a gay prostitute. And when Christ and his teachings are not central, all kinds of mayhem occurs. For example, on November 12, 2023, First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, invited a group of men into their church to teach on creation. The pastor commented that a long-haired hippie teaching in the pulpit is in direct contradiction to Scripture. He quotes 1 Corinthians 11.14, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? The pastor acknowledged, I don't know anything about this man, but I do know that to have long hair is a shame. It does not matter what he was going to teach. The fact that he blatantly disobeys God's word should have alerted anyone to his spiritual discernment and that he is to be disqualified to teach people. Did anyone notice that in all the portraits of Jesus, he has hair down to his shoulders? What Christianity has fostered in complete contradiction to its rabbi are churches filled with leaders and followers who are the most judgmental people on earth. I quote, Eighty-four percent of non-Christians say they know a Christian personally, yet only 15 percent say the lifestyles of those believers are noticeably different in a good way. Or to put it another way, most people who know a Christian don't notice any observable positive difference in the life of that Christian. In fact, a study by the Barna Group asked non-Christians about their perception of Christians and discovered that 87% of those surveyed said Christians were judgmental. 85% said Christians were hypocritical. And 78% said Christians were out of touch. 
By not heeding the unambiguous words of Jesus, the Church of Jesus Christ has fostered a culture of insiders and outsiders, and frankly, I most often want to hang with the outsiders. We cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. So said Carl Jung. People of faith are called to compassion, not judgment. People of faith are called to understanding, not condemnation. How about thinking and feeling our way into another person's life so we grasp the reality of their life? To judge is to shame, and the feeling of shame is most visceral and most often intolerable. One of the gifts of being a psychotherapist is that I am privy to the interior life of my clients. Without exception, when I come to know their life story, I come to understand their choices, no matter how destructive or poor they may seem to the outside observer. Yet, many people ask, don't I have to make judgments? Yes, about your own life. Richard Rohr says authentic spirituality is always about changing you. It's not about trying to change anyone else. The transforming work of Christ involves us taking up our own cross instead of crucifying others. Instead of judgments, thoughtful people practice discernment. We listen to ourselves, to whatever thoughts or feelings arise about a given situation. There will be those that have good energy and those that make us feel uneasy or uncomfortable. We sit with our decisions or choices until clarity appears, and then we know what choice is closest to our own heart, mind, and soul. Later, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. If we have been thoughtful, self-reflective, and soulful throughout our lives, we have gained hard-fought insights, personal truths, and deep understandings about our life. These are our holy pearls. Not all people surely, and perhaps even few, will treat our precious pearls with the love and respect they deserve. We have to be careful with whom we share them. There are those who will trample on them like pigs rutting in the mud. Now, perhaps this is a good time to pause and look at what Jesus did not say. Here I am again indebted to Franciscan friar Richard Rohr, who I quote at length. Let's look at which Hebrew scripture passages Jesus emphasizes. He never quotes the book of Numbers, for example, which is rather ritualistic and legalistic. 
He never quotes Joshua or Judges, which are full of sanctified violence. Basically, Jesus doesn't quote from his own scriptures when they are punitive, classist, or exclusionary. In fact, he teaches the exact opposite in every case. This is hard to miss, and our job as Christians is to imitate Jesus. Jesus does not mention the list of 28 thou shall nots in Leviticus 18 through 20, but chooses instead to echo the rare positive quote of Leviticus 19:18, you must love your neighbor as yourself. The longest single passage he quotes is from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord has been given to me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and to the blind new sight, to set the downtrodden free and to proclaim a year of favor from the Lord. But Jesus plays fast and easy, as they say, and quotes selectively. He appears to have deliberately omitted the last line and the day of vengeance of our God, because he does not believe in a God of vengeance at all. Jesus knows how to connect the dots and find out where the text is truly heading, beyond the low-level consciousness of a particular moment, fear, or circumstance. He knows there is a bigger arc to the story, one that always reveals a God who is compassionate, nonviolent, and inclusive of outsiders. He knew how to thin-slice the text to find the overall pattern based on small windows of insight. He learned from Ezekiel, for example, that God's justice is restorative and not retaliatory. God punishes Israel by loving the Israelites even more. How did we miss that one? We can only safely read scripture if we are somehow sharing in the divine gaze of love. A life of prayer helps you develop a third eye that can read between the lines and find the golden thread which is moving toward inclusivity, mercy, and justice. Any pre-existing conditions of a hardened heart, a predisposition to judgment, a fear of God, any need to win or prove yourself right will corrupt and distort the most inspired and inspiring of scriptures, just as they pollute every human conversation and relationship. Hateful people will find hateful verses to confirm their love of death. Loving people will find loving verses to call them into an even greater love of life. And both kind of verses are in the Bible. Well, let's take a short break and then move on to podcast three in our series, Did Jesus Really Say That?, We'll return with a look at a difficult teaching on forgiveness, the incredible challenge of loving our enemies, 
the primary focus of Jesus' parables and his teaching on family.